Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Health Upgrade Podcast. This is Dr. Habib. I'm here with my co-host, JP. Hi. And our absolutely wonderful guest, Dr. Terry Walls. I'm very, very excited about our conversation today, Dr. Walls. Hey, I am so excited to be here as well. So we're honored to have you here. I've been a fan for a very long time, and I, I want to share your story with our audience because your story is special and, and quite unique in mm-hmm. the depth to which you were dealing with a chronic condition and, and how you were able to yeah. help get yourself out of that. So for those who don't know, please share your story. Let's hear a little sure. bit about how you went through your journey. You know, so in uh, 2000, out walking with my wife, Jackie, a half mile from home, my left leg grows weak. Dragging it, I hobble home. I see the neurologist who says, Terry, this could be bad or really, really bad. And at, so we go through the workup for the next three weeks. And at night, I keep thinking about the 20 years of worsening electrical face pain that I've already endured. So I know, okay, this is a progressive disease. I don't want to be disabled. I I would much rather die. So I'm praying secretly for a fatal diagnosis. That'll be quick, much more quick. Three weeks, I hear multiple sclerosis. I do my research, find the very best MS center in the country, go find who their best physician is, see them, take the newest drugs. So I treat my disease very aggressively. Still within three years, I hear tilt recline wheelchair. I'm clearly progressing. My face pain's progressing. I, my 10-year-old daughter hugs me as tears stream down my face. And I have to ask myself, am I really doing all that I can? I go back to reading the basic science in PubMed. I decide that mitochondrial dysfunction are the drivers of disability. I devise a supplement cocktail that slows my decline, helps me just a little bit with my fatigue. Then I discover a study using electrical stimulation muscles. I ask my physical therapist, hey, can I try that? He calls it E-STEM. He says, this is for athletes. It's really quite painful. And you have a lot of pain. But he does give me a test session. It hurts really bad. But when it's over, I feel great. And we add E-STEM. And now keep in mind, this is 2007. I have severe fatigue. I have a worsening brain fog. It's difficult to sit up. So I'm in a zero-gravity chair with my knees higher than my nose. I have one at home, one at work. I have uh, walking sticks, and I can take just a couple of steps with my walking stick. And my chief of staff, because he's trying to press, pressure me into filing for disability, he assigns me to the traumatic brain injury clinic and have to start there in January. Now, I had this big aha, and uh, Dr. Maz, I'm embarrassed now how long it took me to have this aha, like, you know, what if I redesign my paleo diet that I've been following for five years based now on the functional medicine that I've learned, the uh, basic science that I've been studying, in uh, the supplement cocktail that I have? So, you know, it's a few more months of research. I redesigned my paleo diet. It's now very specific. I start this new way of eating December 26th. And then January, I go to this new clinic. I have to exam- uh, see patients without residence. Uh, it's a job I know physically I can't do. The first two weeks, I'm just observing. The third week, I uh, 
see the patient, then it's not too bad. I'm, I'm surprised. At the end of the week, I, you know, Jack and I, like, you know, I, I think I can do this. And I, my physical therapist says, Terry, you're definitely getting stronger. He advances my exercises. I now do my little mat, tiny mat exercises, 10 minutes in the day, 10 minutes in the evening. Then we gradually increase that. And I began walking in the hospital with my two walking sticks, stunning everyone. And then with one walking stick, then without. Uh, and then in April, I, I tell my family I want to try riding my bike. And I haven't done that in six years. So on Mother's Day, we have this emergency family meeting. And Jackie uh, tells my 16-year-old boy, who's six foot five, Zach, you run alongside on the left. She tells my 13-year-old daughter, you run alongside on the right, and she'll follow. And I get on my bike, and I bike around the block. And that big 16-year-old boy, he's crying. That 13-year-old girl, she's crying. Jackie's crying. And I begin to cry every time I tell that story because it was at that moment that I understood the current understanding of secondary progressive multiple sclerosis is incomplete. And who knows how much recovery might be possible. So, you know, I began biking a little more every day. You know, my physical therapist is advancing my exercises. And then in October, Jackie signs me up for the courage ride, 18.5 miles. And when I cross the finish line again, you know, everybody's crying. You know, my boy's crying, my girl's crying, Jackie's crying, I'm crying. And I tell you, this fundamentally changes how I think about disease and health. It will change the way I practice medicine, and it will change the focus of my clinical research. There's no doubt that your story affects everybody. I, I feel the emotions myself. And for me, uh, I, the image of that I always come back to is the side-by-side of you uh, in your wheelchair and a year later on your bicycle. On the bike. It, it is striking. So it, there's a year's difference. And I want to make clear, you know, I, people know I love the paleo diet. The paleo diet was not enough. I'd done that five years, wasn't enough. Uh, and I take a bunch of supplements. I still do. They were not enough. I certainly felt better with them. The eSIM was super helpful and accelerated my recovery. The magic happened when I had that big aha, like, you know, what if I redesigned my diet, you know, to maximize the nutrients I was taking in supplement form? And that, that was stunning. It was absolutely stunning, the speed at which uh, things began to get better. So let's dig in a little bit into what that aha moment was like. I love aha moments, those moments in science where there's just that epiphany. It, it can't yeah. be described scientifically, that, that moment of like a realization that I have to do something differently from the way everybody else has done it. And it's going to be the solution. So. You were talking about the paleo diet, talking about the supplements, you're talking about e-stim, you're talking about the exercise regimen. Each one of them contributed, but my suspicion is that the sum is a lot greater than the individual parts. Absolutely. What was the, what, let's dig into what that aha moment was. What was that thing that you thought? What, if you can go back in your mind and say you had that moment, what was the aha beyond saying, I have to do things differently? What was the what was the next step? It's like I had to do things differently, and what it is that I need to do is X. What was that? You know, 
I'm going to get back into sort of the spiritual component. Now, keep in mind, at, at this point, I, I've, I've had clearly 27 years of relentless worsening. I can't sit up. I have really horrific levels of pain from the trigeminal neuralgia. I'm beginning to have brain fog. My boss is putting a job that I know I can't do. Uh, and that, that's going to land on me in a couple of months. I'll finally have to take uh, medical disability. And I have been coming to terms with I'm going to be bedridden. I'm going to be demented. And my trigeminal neuralgia is probably going to be permanently on. Am I doing all that I can to slow this down? Am I really doing all that I can? And I was thinking about the complexity of life, that how many reactions are going on constantly in my cells, that they're deeply interconnected, self-correcting, and keeping the various elements in my cells, the electrolytes, within safety parameters, because if they get too high or too low, I'm going to die. It's incredibly complicated. So supplements, yep, they're, they're helpful. I know a few ingredients that, I, that my cells need, but there's probably thousands more related compounds if I figure out where my, you know, and I think there were um, nine, maybe 10 supplements that I was really focused in on at that time. It's like, okay, where are they in the food supply? If I maximize the food supply, maybe there's other compounds in that food that support this very complicated biochemistry that I'm doing. You know, and the other thing uh, that I uh, was, you know, there, there are several big decisions that I made. It was like, okay, if it's not organic, I can't eat it. And uh, am I meditating really every day or not? I got to be more attentive to that. I, I was doing my little little exercises. You know, if I did more than 10 minutes, I was flat out exhausted, but by God, I, I got my 10 minutes in every day. And when I was given the e-stim device, I didn't know how long I'd get to have it. And it's like, well, I got to make the most of it. So it told me I, I could dial up to as much pain as I could tolerate. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I dialed it up to as much pain as I could tolerate. My family would, would walk in. I'd be sweating, going, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> sort of grunting away because, you know, I, I was at the end. And I was like, I got to be doing all that I can. There's a, great, there's a great Scottish saying that if you think you've reached the, the farthest you can travel, you've gone only half as far as you truly can go. Mm -hmm. so I think you, you demonstrated that your initial vision of where the end was was wrong and you proved it to yourself and then to the rest of the world by pushing on. By, by doing, continuing on. By continuing on despite all the odds. You know, and I was asking myself, are you doing all that you can? You know, and the other thing that really helped me, JP, was, you know, so my kids, you know, I became disabled as they grew up. And yeah, I certainly in my head had, you know, deeply troubled thoughts. I, I certainly felt very despondent as I saw my life, my my dreams slip away. But I also had to reimagine what parenting was like and that I knew my two children were going to have 
their versions of really terrible times that they'd have to face. And I give you the model that, yep, life, you're going to run into buzzsaws now and then, and you either complain about it and whine, or you do all that you can every day anyway. And I knew that I needed to model what, what I saw my parents model on, on our farm was, yep, life's tough, so what? You get up and you, you, you do all you can anyway. And I, I had known that's what I was going to have to model. Of course, it got hard. <laughs> it got really, really hard to do that. Right. If you had to go back and attribute your success in rec- and your recovery to one thing, you talked earlier about mitochondrial function and how, how really focused you were on making uh-huh. sure that your mitochondria were functioning well healthy, not under oxidative stress, doing everything they were supposed to be doing. Do you, and I'm asking the question, I don't know. Do you, do you attribute that as being one of the real key pieces of well, your equation? I'm going to go back a little bit. So the first key piece is what is my why? Why am I going to do all this work to try and figure things out and then keep working at it? So uh, we have to grow the motivation to do the work. Once you have accomplished that, okay, we, I got that going. I, and as I'm slogging through this basic science, because I'm not a PhD, so I had to really slog through and, and teach myself a lot. It certainly uh, it appeared to me that getting to um, have the mitochondria work more efficiently, more effectively was key. And at first, I focused on supplements. Then I focused on food. And then eventually, I started focusing on, well, I can use electricity. Mm-hmm. And then I focused on, well, I can do hormetic stress. So saunas and cold showers and cold baths, uh, breath holding. And as I got stronger, you know, then more strength training. So there's been a you know a gradual progression as I uh, understand mitochondrial function and how we can rejuvenate our mit- mitochondria more effectively. So I you know gradually I get more tools in my toolbox. That piece that you mentioned, hormetic stress, something that we've mentioned quite often on the podcast, but it's so heavily linked to that recovery process and being able to teach your body how to recover from those minor stressors. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges and, and well, practical no. ways that you went through that. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. So before I went into medical school, uh, I, I'm an athlete. I do uh, martial arts. I do uh, long distance running uh, and uh, black belt training uh, in that competition. And I way overtrained. <laughs> Uh, in retrospect, I realized that I did not uh, allow sufficient recovery time. And so uh, I think that set me up uh, to accelerate my autoimmune process. Yeah, and, you know, w- when I began doing my uh, mitochondrial resuscitation, I, and, you know, I, I now realize that some of my early tinkering with supplements uh, was actually hormetic stress for my mitochondria using uh, nutrients, but it turned out to be, you know, super helpful. And then as I 
was treating with my electricity. Again, I'm doing a little bit of hormetic stress because you know, my physical therapist worked with me as at the pace at which I could reintroduce exercise. Because and you keep in mind, I am profoundly disabled at this point. I can sit up in a regular chair 10 minutes, only 10 minutes. Otherwise, I'm in a zero-gravity chair or I'm in bed in a zero-gravity chair with your knees higher than your nose. Now, fortunately, I had been mentally clear. I was beginning to have brain fog. Uh, and so, you know, the end was near in terms of my ability to function as a physician. But during that recovery period, when I'm reintroducing exercise, the dose of the exercise, I, I could tolerate it much more if I had my electrodes on and I was doing electrically driven exercise at the same time I'm doing my little volitionally driven exercise. So I got 10 minutes and then, you know, I'm tired and I recover and then I go off to work and then I can get to 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the evening. And slowly, gradually, we're able to increase that. Uh, And, you know, interestingly enough, you know, my uh, physical therapist told me, uh, electrically driven exercise, you know, if you do volitional exercise at the same time, 45 minutes will get you a bigger, stronger muscle. You're weak everywhere. Have, have many muscles training sessions as you can fit into your day, you can do. So that's when I uh, figured out like, okay, well, I'm still working. I'm going to have to figure out how to do this while I'm at work. <laughs> I And it took me about a year, but I eventually figured out that I could uh, take my uh, device with me, wear it at work. And, you know, every hour I'd go move my electrodes, and I would have ten minutes of, or ten seconds, and then twenty seconds where I could really work, and then ten seconds of you know pretty intense discomfort while I was doing my isometric. I and if I was staffing residents, so I'm talking to people, then I, I then I had to have much lower current because I couldn't be grunting in the midst of a you know, staffing a patient, that would be poor form. So the, the supplements that you were taking and you, that are supportive of mitochondrial function, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about which, you know, what, what you used and, and what their purpose is and, you know, what effects they have. So, you know, a couple of things that first B vitamins, and then uh, I came to realize that if you get B vitamins that are, quote, activated, so that first step that my cells would be responsible for, uh, we could bypass. That way you could reduce the uh, impact of genetic vulnerability. And so methylfolate, methyl B12, uh, um, uh, et cetera. Yeah, and interestingly enough, I've since done some genetics on myself, and I have several variations that lead to less effective uh, mobilization of my B vitamins. And then we could look at uh, minerals, zinc, selenium, uh, iodine, uh, magnesium, uh, manganese, uh, but you know, zinc in particular, uh, magnesium in particular, uh, very helpful. I, then coenzyme Q, certainly mm-hmm. very, very helpful, uh, lipoic acid, uh, carnitine. And that, that was the, uh, and I also had uh, creatine, uh, branched chain amino acids. 
that that was my core uh, supplement uh, cocktail that I was using at that time. Sounds very much like that supplement stack focuses on that mitochondrial function piece, Mm -hmm. supporting the carbohydrate metabolism, supporting the fat metabolism, ensuring that your body's able to build up acetyl-CoA really effectively and then get into the mitochondria being able to run through uh, the electron transport chain really effectively and then produce the energy that your body then needed at a cellular level to function. That's what I would take from from the stack. In in the, when I uh, first started adding these supplements, I, you know, I was just beginning my uh, segue into all of this. And after about six months, I thought, Nothing's happening. Uh, and so I quit. You know, the next, and it, the next day is no big deal, but the day after, I just really could not get out of bed. Couldn't really function. Uh, and the day after that, I couldn't really function. And then Jackie comes in and says, you know, honey, what, why don't you try, try your supplements again? So I took them, and the next morning, I could get up and go back to work. And I thought, wow, that was really interesting. So two weeks later, I thought, you know what, let's try that again. So I stopped everything. In uh, the first 24 hours was fine, but at 36 hours, I couldn't get out of bed. And, you know, again, you know, I waited another 48 hours and then took my supplements and could bounce up and uh, get out of bed. And, and so that's when I said, okay, I'm figuring some stuff out that my neurologist doesn't know about, that my primary care person doesn't know about. And uh, you know, at that time, I, I was on the institutional review board, so I told my my uh, person staff person I was working with said, "Give me all of the brain related studies. I want to I want to take them all. I, I got better and better at reading uh, the studies, reading the protocols, and then you know, occasionally picking up. Well, here's a new idea that maybe I I should try in myself. And and I got you know much more excited about." Spending uh, some time uh, every week looking at papers, thinking deeply, um, I became absolutely convinced that mitochondrial dysfunction is what drives disability, brain volume atrophy, spinal cord atrophy, uh, and immunosenescence. For sure. For absolutely sure. Uh, You're preaching to the choir here on the importance of mitochondria. Yeah. So have you done any studies looking at some of the epigenetic Factors that might have been at play as well, DNA methylation. Well, uh, oh, you mean for myself? Yeah, for you. Yeah. I have not, but I can speculate uh, uh, some of the factors. And, you know, I can think about early life stress. Mm-hmm. When I was nine, actually, I take that back when I was eight, my uh, sister died unexpectedly. My mother had severe postpartum depression. My dad uh, was also struggling. And that created enormous strain for our family uh, for many, many years. In addition, uh, we can think about um, uh, the atrazine that's in the groundwater in many uh, uh, private wells in Iowa. And so, uh, so atrazine uh, is a herbicide that's banned in Europe and much of the world. Uh, and it was probably the water uh, that I was drinking. In addition to all of the background uh, heavy metals that uh, all of us are exposed to in the water and food supply. In addition, uh, I'm an artist. I uh, love the oil painting. And so I had lead, mercury, cadmium. Uh, uh, through that, 
Uh, and then I got into metallurgy and so I and soldering. So I got a little a little more. Uh, and then when I went to medical school, you know, I am so thrilled to get to be in gross lab. I would go back to the gross lab, unwrap the cadavers, and you know, I have notebooks full of these beautiful drawings of these cadavers. So I probably have twice, maybe three times the amount of formaldehyde exposure uh, that many of my colleagues had. And, you know, probably a little stress uh, during medical school, not, not sleeping much. My vitamin D level dips down during medical school. Uh, and is it a surprise that my uh, face pains begin to develop uh, and become symptomatic during medical school? So, you know, I think all of those factors are uh, contributed to uh, why I probably had some ex- uh, accelerated aging of my uh, mitochondria. Oh, yeah, you should also throw in that, you know, if you are a, a taekwondo uh, in full contact free sparring tournaments, you get two points for kicking people in the head. So I certainly gave many concussions, but I also received a few along the way as well. For sure, all of those, all those stresses will head up. Yeah, there's yeah. no question. When I'm working with a client, I'm I'm helping to kind of outline to them all of the potential stressors that have created the the opportunity to go down this path, and I like to classify them into four areas. And you did a very good job of kind of explaining all four of those areas where there was childhood trauma and psychological stress that came up. Uh, in your childhood, that there were biochemical stressors from the atrazine and from formaldehyde and all of the other uh, chemicals that you were exposed to through your life. Your vitamin D levels coming down, that had a lot of, lot to do with potentially not being outdoors quite as much, mm-hmm. not getting that, that sunlight exposure, the physical stress of uh, being kicked in the head during Taekwondo, right? These are yeah. these concussions and these uh, physical stressors are, are contributing factors, absolutely. And then the daily stressors of day-to-day life that so many people are experiencing. And so classifying those four and showing just how much they're pushing on that sympathetic nervous system, pushing you towards that fight or flight all the time, really helps to push you into that state where you are more prone to disease, more mm-hmm. prone to going down that, that symptomatic path where we're not in that rest, digest, recover, parasympathetic state quite as often. And so we need to learn how to be able to shifting or to shift effectively towards the opposite side there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think now uh, I, the way I think about this, Dr. Navaz, is all of that accelerated the aging of my cells. Uh, and so and if, and in retrospect, when I go back and look at the photographs of me at my NATO when I'm 52, I look really, you know, much older than 52. Uh, and, you know, I, I certainly fit. Uh, was frail that would have met the uh, criteria for very severe frailty that would have looked probably much more like a 70 plus year old so let me ask a question about your diet your choice of the paleo diet because you said that that sort of predated your epiphany Mm -hmm. how to 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 approach this you know required healing because the the next step wasn't wasn't so good what what drove you to believe that the paleo diet was the way to go? And you said you're still a big advocate of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm just wondering. You know, what, it's what, wild. It, it was my neurologist hmm. that, that 
brilliant neurologist I had seen. Uh, I was clearly going downhill. And uh, she pointed me to the work of Ashton Embry, whose son had recovered uh, with a paleo diet. Um, so at that, and I'd been a vegetarian for 20 years. So I had uh, looked over the research uh, that they pointed me to, uh, read Lauren Cardane's uh, book on the, on the paleo diet. And I basically intim- implemented what is probably we call the autoimmune intervention protocol. And this, but still, this is focused on what to remove, not a lot about what to add or how to structure it. But, you know, still there was no grain, no legumes, no dairy, but it wasn't enough. It was not enough to recover me. I had the supplements, slows my decline, and I'm profoundly grateful, still not enough to recover me. But, you know, I had very aggressive disease and I was going down very rapidly. Let's... You know, one of the things that we like to talk about, and it's a, it's Dr. Beeb loves to discuss this extensively, is the, uh, is the microbiome. And clearly, if you're a vegetarian for 20 years, and then you shift your diet as arguably radically as reintroducing meat and moving wow. into a paleo diet, that's a very strong shift in what your microbiome is going to be dealing with, and therefore. What its, stru- what its overall structure is. Mm-hmm. What portion of, well, I won't say what percentage, but you know, to what extent do you believe that the microbiome adjustment and shift was a, an important component of you getting a handle on the decline that you were, you were in? You know, I, I certainly think the food we consume is acted on by the microbes and everything that's in our gut. And those metabolites then get into our bloodstream and help us run the chemistry of life. I think uh, the interaction of the food and the microbiome is what is a very, very big part of all of this. Uh, the most recent study that we've done, which was a look at uh, the low saturated fat diet in the uh, Walls diet following an observation period, and we've got micro, microbiome samples, so uh, stool samples, from uh, the observation period and the intervention period on uh, uh, 77 folks. And we are analyzing that with artificial intelligence to look at, can we predict who, uh, based on the observation period, is going to do well during the intervention period and who uh, does not do well? Uh, I think this is going to be a, a complicated question, and I am looking forward to we're continuing to work with artificial intelligence to answer uh, that question. A great application of artificial yeah. intelligence to, to, to sift through all of the data that you're, you now have, find the correlations and the causation. That's going to be... And we, we collected plasma, red cells, uh, and uh, uh, serum. So um, we're also um, writing grants to analyze the uh, plasma and serum so we could... Then we'll have even more dicks. We have more clinical outcomes. We know what people ate. We, we have the metabolome, and then we have the microbiome. So there'll just be an immense amount of data that had to be sifted through um, using machine learning. I'm very excited to see what comes out of that because I know that uh, the majority of my patients, when we put them on a diet that is initially 
restrictive, but they find that they do have very positive changes after a couple of months. Having that data in advance showing which microbiome type of uh, setup would be most beneficial or, or would likely have the best you know, result. I, I predict that we'll eventually get to a time where I can come in, give you some uh, saliva, uh, some urine, some blood, uh, some stool. Uh, we'll run it through an analysis that will tell us, then come back and say, okay, given your parameters, these kind of dietary plans will be helpful. These kind of dietary plans will be less helpful. And uh, this kind of targeted supplement program would be help support that journey. And that will be guided by AI. How soon we'll get to see that, Dr. Namaz? I'm not quite sure, but I, I certainly expect that will be one of the destinations that will likely come. I think that's such a practical and useful application of it. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the results that come out of the study that you're doing there. I want to ask a little bit about how you refined your uh, the paleo diet into the WALS protocol and yeah. the, the factors behind that. Well, again, eventually I had a list of about 20 nutrients. I was like, okay, these are things that I, that I think are really important. And when I recovered, I just had a list of here are the foods I got to be eating every week. And then when I started thinking that I got to teach this to my patients, well, I couldn't just give them these big long lists, one, because it wasn't approved by the VA, that's sort of complicated. So I had to come up with a simpler way. Uh, and that's ultimately how I created you know, the three levels of the laws protocol. And that we start with what you add. I didn't want these vets to be hungry. So it was nine cups of vegetables. And they're like, what, uh, is that per week or month? <laughs> <laughs> so that's very funny. Uh, and so... You know, the three cups of greens, uh, that gives you the vitamin K, calcium, magnesium, uh, a lot of carotenoids, uh, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin, lutein, uh, great for retina, reducing macular degeneration, cognitive decline, cancer, diabetes, uh, uh, the vitamin K. Uh, just you st Now, you still need your microbiome to take the vitamin K1 from the greens to K2, but vitamin K important for your uh, teeth and bones, uh, and at least in the animal models, we know really good for stem cells in the brain, oligodendrocytes, and myelin repair. So that's why the greens. And I'll tell you, I have three ants, all of whom have severe macular degeneration, uh, and the one ant who listened to me and adopted the Wall's diet, she's still seeing and reading and driving, thinking clearly, and the other two, you know, became blind and demented and had, uh, you know, really terrible, terrible uh, outcomes. Uh, and then the colorful, you know, pigmented all the way through, lower rates of, and so again, lots of carotenoids, lots of polyphenols, and lower rates of cancer, cognitive decline, uh, diabetes, all-cause mortality from that food group. Then we get to the uh, cabbage, onion, mushroom family, so the sulfur-rich group, uh, that induces uh, glutathione synthetase. We all want more glutathione, so uh, that's a good reason to have those uh, vegetables. Uh, and more, uh, it also really great for blood vessel health, uh, uh, great for detox, uh, great for neurotransmitter uh, development in the brain. And then for 
mushrooms. Now you have to be careful when I talk about mushrooms. Uh, I have a lot of vets who would just go out and immediately start eating all the wild mushrooms. If they don't know, you got to be sure you identify it properly because they can kill you. But mushrooms, the more mushrooms you have, the lower the rates of cognitive decline, anxiety, depression. We have several mushrooms that have been shown to boost BDNF. So we really want people to have uh, lots of culinary mushrooms. And then the things to remove, uh, reduce, eliminate added sugars, processed foods. So the flour-based product. So gluten-free, things that are naturally gluten-free are great, but the gluten-free cookies, breads, all that stuff, flour-based products, not so good for you. Gluten-free grains, such as rice, a little bit would be okay. It's like, uh, you know, one serving a day, so half cup of rice. If that makes it easier for people to stay on the program, you know, I'm fine with that. Uh, dairy, you got to take uh, dairy out. I let people know that milk is a great product for growing our young. Mammals have been doing it for 200 million years, but when they are weaned, they don't get to keep having milk. There are a lot of growth factors in milk that are really help us grow rapidly when we're very young. Once our bones fuse, those growth factors can help us grow fat, not so good for us, or grow dysplastic cells, cancerous cells, also not so good for us. So, and furthermore, uh, and then also took eggs out. Uh, eggs, a great superfood. However, uh, the egg albumin can be a common cause of abnormal immune response. And when I started doing my research, my university, in their wisdom, said, uh, at first they disapproved the research, and then we, we met their concerns and we did get approved. But one of the things that they uh, made very clear is I had to study my protocol, what had recovered me. And so you have this crazy diet, but that's the one you're going to have to uh, investigate because that's the only data you have. And so that's the one I've been investigating this whole time because that's the data I have. And if I go off this crazy diet, my face pain turns on in six hours. So I never voluntarily go off. Rightfully so. Thank you for that breakdown. It, it makes a lot of sense. It's very practical. And, and I think a lot of people will be able to benefit from that overview of the nine cups of vegetables and broken down three per yeah. family there. You also have uh, meat as a part of... Yeah, of so my, yeah my preference is that people uh, eat meat, fish, uh, poultry. Uh, I do recognize that some people are vegetarian for their spiritual beliefs, so we talk to them about how to do that. And we have a ketogenic plan. We have a ketogenic plan that can use MCTs and coconut milk, which is quite delicious. And we have a ketogenic plan that uses olive oil, which actually is my preferred plan right now because I think that's more heart-friendly. Yeah. And I have a more restrictive elimination diet for people who don't respond adequately to the basic plan. And is that more driven towards autoimmunity in particular? Yeah, certainly uh, more towards autoimmunity. We take out nightshades, we take out all legumes, all grains, and I may even take out the seed spices as well. But that's a temporary yes. removal, and then we reintroduce foods uh, one at a time so people can have the least restrictive diet. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of individuality when it comes to figuring mm -hmm. it out, but you need a starting point. And I love that you've got this as a starting point, as a temporary solution, and then you add things in again. You know, the other thing that I do, Dr. Navaz, is I 
um, work. This is a family intervention. So it's a big conversation. What can you do successfully as a family? And if what you can do successfully as a family is the swank diet, that's fine. We'll start there. If what you can do successfully is the Mediterranean diet, fine. We'll start there. Uh, I will tell them which diet I think is the most therapeutic for them. But I also put the caveat in. We have to be sure that you really can do that. Because if you can't, then we have to negotiate a, a plan that you, you're okay with doing. And some folks can't do diet at all. We have to start with meditation and mindfulness. And I'm like, okay, if that's where we have to start, that's where we have to start. Because once they reduce their their sympathetic overdrive, then they can tolerate the withdrawal they'll go through when they get rid of the standard American diet, standard Westernized diet, and improve their diet. To what extent do you think that some of the progression of your personal trials and tribulations medically had to do specifically with the failure of the vegetarian diet to provide you with all of the, for example, B-complex vitamins. In- oh, shit, yes. It, it was certainly part of it. You know, <laughs> I, so I, I was uh, probably deprived of the omega-3 ratio, certainly. I, uh, we now know that I, I loved whole wheat bread, uh, and that was certainly driving uh, uh, my uh, disease. And, uh, you know, I would have eggs and that would drive my disease. And, you know, I thought skim milk uh, was okay. So, and those food groups were, were driving my disease. You know, it, it, and many folks would, would look at my, my previous diet. And in many ways, it was great. A lot of legumes, you know, a lot of black beans, uh, a lot of brown rice. Uh, I certainly had plenty of vegetables, but I also had... Uh, you know, homemade wheat bread. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, uh, really quite yummy. So I guess the question, to what extent do you incorporate food allergies into your... Oh, I, I think I think it's important to evaluate for that, to think about that. It, it's interesting to know that in the VA system, I couldn't do, assess any of that, do any food sensitivity testing. I couldn't do any functional medicine testing. I could do lipids, glucose, A1C, uh, B12, homocysteine, vitamin D. That was it. And I could give a B-complex, fish oil, multivitamin. And that was it. But I, I could take a history. I could spend time. I could do group visits. And we became very good at the elimination diet and having, you know, taking things out and then reintroducing things one at a time. And through that process, we could identify their food sensitivity issue. You were... You were literally having to live through the VA system with the Hippocrates, uh, you know. Yeah, you know. Food is the first medicine. <laughs> and at first, I was so annoyed that I couldn't do my functional medicine testing at the VA. Later, after doing that for several years, I was so glad that I had been restricted that I had to learn how to listen deeply to my patients, do the elimination diet, take everything out, gradually put it in. And that we had become so expert at motivational interviewing uh, and health behavior change. We created uh, this 15-step process uh, that is basically the Walls Behavior Change Model that was profoundly effective at getting people to make big changes to their diet and lifestyle, which led to dramatic changes in their complex chronic autoimmune diseases 
I was so successful that the VA national office came out to say, like, what's going on? What are you doing? Uh, and we greatly influenced how they created their whole life program. Excellent. You know, there's a the reason I brought up the food allergies, it's a story that I think we've spoken with before on the podcast, but I'll, I'll raise it again. Good friend of our family. We were out to dinner. We hadn't been to dinner in a while. And I noticed that she, even though she's Italian, wasn't eating any bread. We were at, and, she, and the food that she had ordered wasn't a pasta. It was, you know, she had a, a piece of fish. And I said, you know, Anne, why aren't you having any bread? And she revealed to me that it was, it really had gotten to the point for her where her gluten allergy had uh, reached a stage where any kind of uh, pizza or a piece of bread or a bowl of pasta or anything like that would leave her for the next day feeling like she had been hit by a truck. Swollen, mm-hmm. joints aching, headache, brain fog, all of the, the typical sort of gluten allergy symptoms, but really very, very debilitating for her. And she had just cut it all out. And as much as she would like to have it back, she couldn't do it. And so I asked her whether or not, you know, what, what, what it would mean to her to be able to eat that again. And she said, oh, she would give anything. She was an Italian girl and it was really difficult for her to give it all up. It was a social thing. For her, the social comfort food was now uh, being taken away from her. And so I suggested to her that maybe vagus nerve stimulation might be something that would be Mm. able to press the immune response that was being triggered by the gluten. And so I said, why don't we get you, why don't we get you one and see whether or not it would work? And so about a week later, I had the opportunity to speak with her because she had one and she'd been using it. And I said, so Anne, tell me about your experiences. And her her, her story was kind of startling to me. She said the first day she used it, she decided that night to just have one piece of bread just to see what would happen. She was going to test it. And the next day she felt fine, which was, was, which was abnormal, but she only had one piece of bread and she had otherwise remained strict with her diet. But she felt so, re- it was so remarkable to her that she had no symptoms whatsoever from it that she decided to sort of jump from zero to 60 miles an hour. And that night she went out and she had pizza before dinner. She had a bowl of pasta with dinner. She had cake. She had bread. She even, when they went out to the boardwalk where they were at the Jersey Shore, she even had a falafel, uh, one of those, uh, you know, funnel cakes. And she said she woke up the next morning and the only symptom that she had was she had about 25% of the swelling that she would normally have in her left ankle, but it was not painful. She just noted that her left ankle was a little swollen, but no other symptoms whatsoever. Wow. She was thoroughly blown away. Now, the reason I had suggested it was because of the, the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway and the fact that the very first work that we did in developing a vagus nerve stimulator, non-invasive one, was looking at, at allergic reactions. We looked at anaphylactic yeah. responses, and we were able to show that if you sensitized an animal and then expose that animal to what would be a lethal uh, anaphylactic uh, challenge, that the animal could survive that challenge with, if you were stimulating the vagus nerve. If you could stimulate the vagus nerve during that anaphylactic period, uh, that onset of the reaction, that the reaction would be blunted and the, and the animal would survive, whereas the others that weren't stimulated would, would, would die. Um, so we were fairly you know, fairly amazed by the results that we got in that, in that setting. But of course, EpiPens and other things work pretty well for, 
for uh, treating uh, anaphylactic shock. So it wasn't a business model for us to pursue. But I thought in, my, in the back of my head, I was like, food allergies, like yeah. a food allergy, is, a, is an example where perhaps that cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway that's triggered by vagus nerve stimulation would be useful. So I, you know, I wondered to what extent, the reason I asked the question about food allergies, I'm just wondering to what extent, you know, and I think about it on a variety of different levels, but that yeah. might be one level in which vagus nerve stimulation would be an, a, a positive addition to your overall protocol. It might be. You know, I, I love, I love electricity. I, I spend a couple hours a day uh, uh, doing e-stim still. Even though I, you know, I can strength train. I uh, this morning I jogged around the block. So yes, I think it'd be a very interesting addition. Yeah, it, w- it would. It would be. I would love to to uh, to follow up with you maybe after the call about a way to. Yeah. That. Um, you know, if if you're in the if you're in the mood. Yeah, to yeah. Sort of and you know, I I love electricity. I love tinkering. Uh, as you say, biohacking, figuring out what is the effect of uh, these new technologies. Because, you know, my goal is to live and thrive to 120, still be uh, doing research, still uh, having postdocs, still lecturing to the medical students and well, the physical therapy students, dietitian students. When you reach that goal, don't give up. Oh, <laughs> don't absolutely. Give up. That, that'll be, I'll go on to 150. <laughs> All right, good. Take them in 30-year chunks. I love it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. The, the research behind that is very specific that, Vagus nerve has a lot of nerve endings at the gut in particular. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there are some really interesting studies showing that vagus nerve stimulation prevents ultrastructure injury of the epithelial lining of the gut. Um, it protects the epithelial glycocalyx that's being produced um, in the gut lining as well as in the, in the blood vessels. So that's a whole nother area that it could be very beneficial in. And it, it prevented uh, colitis uh, when it's induced by DSS, like through uh, injection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've talked about that. With that electrical stimulation piece. So that electricity can be utilized really effectively when when done so to prevent and to help support movement towards that parasympathetic state in a therapeutic sense. And I, I really feel like it could be a great addition to what you're doing. And that's why we're big proponents of it. Yeah, the cholinergic... The cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway isn't just isn't just one pathway. The the original pathway that Kevin Tracy discovered is through the through the spleen. But there's and obviously yeah. that has a widespread effect. But there's also a gut uh, pathway that's separate. Uh, there's a central nervous system pathway that's separate. They all do the same thing, and they're all based on acetylcholine being released and and interacting with the alpha seven nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. But the interesting fact that we've only just really touched on a little bit on this on the podcast, but is fascinating in the context of mitochondria, is that the, that alpha seven nicotinic acetylcholine receptor that is so critical for this cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway is not only expressed on the extra, extracellular membrane of the cells; it's also expressed on the surface of mitochondria. Mm-hmm. And mitochondria, and it, it plays a, a critical role in mitochondrial function. And so the the ability to increase the acetylcholine levels through parasympathetic activation in the vicinity, not just of immune cells, but of cells in general throughout the body, then you will it's it's a positive 
supportive state for your mitochondria. So mitochondrial function is enhanced for, through a variety of different pathways that are associated with this, but directly because that alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor is expressed on mitochondria. And when there's high levels of melatonin in the cell, the amount of or the expression levels on the mitochondria for that receptor go up. So it's, it's, it's all interconnected. You know, it might be an interesting study to uh, think about testing this device in a pilot way uh, in people with MS. See well, the... well we, did, we did look at it in the, uh, what it, was it, the autoimmune encephalitis model, the AEA model uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in rats or mice. And the, uh, the results were, were positive. They weren't, as, they weren't as positive as some of the cutting-edge medications, and therefore it wasn't something that we decided to pursue. But in a combination with other things, it was never studied. And I would think that in combination, it would be supportive and, and, and helpful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. maybe it's because of what it does with mitochondria. I don't know. Uh, it's probably multifactorial. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, it's multifactorial. You know, I, certainly a lot of my basic science researchers get into uh, the mechanism that they have a, a model to study the mechanism really well. But, you know, my perspective is, you know, life is way more complicated than it. one interesting uh, mechanism, one interesting pathway. For sure. I completely agree with that. As a practitioner and having that practical standpoint is really, and that practical vision from a practice. Uh, yeah from a physician standpoint, is really important. And, and you brought up the fact that while you were working in the VA, you had this challenge of not having functional lab testing truly available to you at the cost and the burden of, of the system. That said, it made you a really good listener and a really sp- like very targeted approach as a practitioner. Correct. A little bit of so that. it let me develop, as I said, the Walls Behavior Change Model, which is... Uh, in the uh, practice of uh, group uh, visits. So we became very skilled uh, because I I see a lot of my functional medicine colleagues very skilled at ordering tests, very skilled at here's a supplement and not very skilled at getting people to actually make these substantive behavior changes that stick. Uh, You need to use use your 15-step process on the VA mm -hmm. itself. Well, (laughs) I was very effective uh, within the VA system there. I've influenced the VA nationally in in their whole health model, which they are uh, rolling out. And we train clinicians. So we are uh, training clinicians uh, around the globe in uh, the uh, Wallace Behavior Change Model. It's, it's It's lots of fun. Excellent. Talk a little bit about the program that you do offer to practitioners uh, to go through that behavior change. Yeah, yeah. so we have an online program, uh, the Walls Protocol Certification. Uh, there are 17 modules, little quizzes along the way to make sure you're, you're getting the concepts. Then at the end, there is a case uh, review with me uh, where I take you through cases uh, and discussions. And then there's a test. Uh, yes, you will have to pass a test. And we, if you don't pass the test the first go around, we give you uh, some remedial help to make sure you understand the material. I'll give you another shot. And then we have monthly calls with all the practitioners going through cases, answering all of the submitted questions, and uh, periodically having guests 
And uh, you guys might be an interesting uh, set of guests to have uh, come along talk about vagal stem. For example, so if I see someone that has an interesting technology that I think would be helpful, we may invite them to come uh, uh, chat with our group. That would be very much appreciated. You know, yeah. my wife is um, in the executive coaching space, and a lot of coaching involves at the psychological level getting people to make changes to their lives and change their behaviors and ultimately understand where their behavior triggers mm-hmm. all might be very interesting to have my wife interact with uh, and learn your 15 step uh, program oh yeah so so that that would that could be super interesting what you could do is uh, reach out to my team at va at terrywalls.com explain her her skills credentials she might already be el- eligible uh, if you have a health related uh, license or certificate, uh, you're eligible. And then I tell people, if you don't, then you know, contact us, explain why you think you are, and, and we'll uh, address that case by case. Because I, I, the, the process of behavior change is where people are going to be successful in functional medicine, in conventional medicine, in executive coaching. I had the opportunity to work with our health psychologist, my own healing journey, and the healing journey of these vets, when my tool, my big tool was behavior change, <laughs> listening and behavior change. That, that's how I, I could work with these vets. And we had very, you know, really, really basic supplements, you know, B vitamins, vitamin D, uh, a multivite, and uh, cod liver oil or fish oil. And that, that was my supplement regimen. But man, we got amazing results, just amazing results. And because we were in the VA system and we could monitor the electronic medical record, we could see the, the changes with the decreased uh, medication use, uh, weight loss, improved blood lipids, improved blood cholesterol. And I had to report back to the exec- hospital executive team, the chief nurse, uh, chief physician, chief of pharmacy, every quarter with what we were doing and the results we were having it was, everybody was surprised, uh, including me, with how successful we were. Well, I think, you know, one of the things, as I'm listening to you, and as motivational as your story is, and as motivating as I'm sure you are with your 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 patients, um, I'm reminded of a story that I was told as a child by my grandfather, who was uh, working at Western Electric, and he was a, uh, he was a psych- uh, an industrial psychologist. And one of the things that they were studying was lighting on the assembly line floors. And what they did was they they increased the wattage of the lights in the room and they found that productivity went up. And so they increased the lights again, you know, to give even more wattage and productivity went up again. And it got to the point where they put so much lighting in the room that the people who worked there started wearing sunglasses. And yet productivity was continuing to improve. And they decided that they needed to interview the people to figure out exactly why lighting was in, increasing the lighting was improving productivity, yet people were, were wearing things to prevent the lighting, wearing sunglasses. And the answer that they got was that the people said the changes that were being made demonstrated that management cared. 
And the fact that somebody cared about what they were doing meant that they would take pride in what they were working on. So the fact that somebody who is in a healthcare profession shows real dedication and real care is a big reason why it's better. Correct. So, correct. A- a- absolutely. In that relationship, uh, in the group calls, uh, in, in the group visits, yeah, and, you know, our, our big conversations uh, around um, your why, your hero's journey, uh, big conversations uh, about facilitators, barriers, um, uh, addiction, and the creation of mentors, and that we could be so successful without, with minimal testing, with minimal labs, and behaviors, community groups, and caring. Yeah, that community groups and caring piece is really important. When we, when we look into the literature and we talk about various ways that you can naturally enhance your parasympathetic tone, get yourself in your autonomic nervous system and your immune system in balance and regulate yourself. One of the things that we're you know, constantly seeing is yes, exercise, yes, proper sleep, yes, meditation and yoga and things like that are wonderful ways to amplify your parasympathetic tone. But being in a positive social environment, engaging with others in a positive mm-hmm. way is so important. And it's one of the reasons when we talk about the Western society challenges from a health perspective, we a lot of times talk about diet and we talk about the amount of time we spend in front of screens and the amount of stress we have with phones that we're on 24-7. There's no such thing as going home and just playing with the kids for the afternoon and the evening. You're always on now with these with the, the smartphones and everything like that. But the other piece of it is the is the isolation of staring mm-hmm. at the screen. The, the, the failure to have that in-person, emotional, connection. physical, body language connection with other people. And I think that's a big reason why we're seeing such a, a higher level of somatoform disorders and psychiatric issues and physical yeah. issues that are the consequence of just a quantum shift in parasympathetic versus sympathetic balance. There's so much more sympathetic drive going on and so little parasympathetic relaxation, you know, rest, digest, and restore mode in your community. So uh, I've been been really, you know, trying to counsel people when I talk to them about the importance of engaging with other people in a positive way. Yes, to all of that. (laughs) Absolutely. For sure. So, uh, you know, this has been incredibly... uh, a, a valuable time for our audience, a, a great opportunity to to extend the conversation that you and yeah. I began at the A4M meeting, a, a, you know, about six months ago, and then again on on a, a, your summit. Uh, and it was really, we appreciate the fact that you decided to join us and, and give us an opportunity to speak with you further on uh, and go dive a little deeper for our audience. Dr. Habib? Yeah, just wanted to ask uh, for you to share if anybody is interested in joining the practitioner training program. Uh, yes. So if you go to terrywalls.com, so T-E-R-R-Y Walls, W-A-H-L-S.com forward slash certification, uh, there you'll get all the details about our practitioner program. Uh, and if you have anybody with MS, send them to my website, terrywalls.com. Uh, because we have a clinical trial, 
comparing ketogenic diet, paleo diet, and usual diet, and we'd love to enroll your patients. So send your MS patients, even if they're on a special diet, as long as they're willing to be randomized, uh, we'd love to have them. Would be wonderful. And um, for all the practitioners and just listeners out there, this has been a masterclass for any practitioner who's gone through their own health journey, anybody who's had their own health journey questioned by anybody. And just the fact that you can put your willpower and your motivation to to the test and actually come out the other side a successful, stronger, and helping so many people. Dr. Terry Walls, you've been absolute. Uh, it's been an honor to to speak with you and to share your story and to see how far you've come since years ago when you were uh, starting to struggle with those challenges. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll get you uh, the links uh, to my social media and all that stuff, Dr. Abib uh, and JP, so that you can put that with your show notes as well. Yes, please uh, send that over and we will have all of that info in the show notes for anybody who is uh, interested in learning more. All right. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Walls. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you got to this point in the podcast, please uh, like, subscribe and share with one person that you feel could utilize this information because we just need to share with more people and help upgrade the health of those around us. Have a wonderful day. Thank Thank you. you.